it's crazy to think like, oh, I'm not that bad. And it's like, why are you trying to make the standards of that bad be like the worst of the worst? Like you don't want to get to that point. Yeah, you're not good. Early. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if it's not good, then you should probably do something about it. friends and welcome back to another episode of pickles and vodka the mental health podcast where we talk about the things no one wants to talk about in real life i'm christina your host and i am so excited for today's episode you don't even know um i am interviewing jacqueline of the binge breakers podcast she is a bulimia coach and uh has recovered from bulimia herself and so i discovered her podcast like I want to say a year ago or something, not not too long ago, and um, I was searching for bulimia podcasts, and I found hers, and I immediately just like binged all her episodes, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna get kicked off of my own podcast, but um, yeah, I listened to all her episodes. She just approaches bulimia from a very down to earth perspective, like she's non judgmental. Um, very practical advice that she gives. The most recent episode she published, actually, an episode called Why Purging is Never a Good Idea. Uh, I paraphrase that. But um, I listened to it yesterday, and she was describing all the physical things that happen to you when you purge and, like, why purging will always lead to more binging and how it's just a brutal cycle. And I have to be honest, I've been caught up in that same cycle for the last few weeks or months. I don't even know. Like time is a blur when you're bulimic and you're like stuck in the cycle. You just never know where you're at. And um, it was a really helpful episode for me. I was almost like annoyed by how practical it was. I was like, God damn it. Now I have to now I have to <laughs> get better. I have to like improve myself. What? Um, so, yes, Jacqueline is amazing. And I'm interviewing her today. Um, there's a few things I want to talk about first before we jump into the interview. I have been asking around to see who, who among my friends wants to be guests. Uh, I find guests a lot of different ways. Um, sometimes I find them on Reddit, on uh, Facebook groups that I'm in, and a lot of the times they're just people I know in real life. So many times I hear this response from my friends that they want to be on the podcast, but they don't think they have anything interesting to say. And I'm just here to say that that is kind of bullshit. <laughs> I say that with love. Um, the thing about mental health is that everybody has it. You don't have to be mentally ill to take care of your mental health. Like everyone has experienced mental health struggles. And the whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about it. And I, I, I do this a lot, too. I compare my trauma to others. And I, I it's like a competition almost. And like sometimes I feel like, you know, nothing super bad happened to me. So I don't deserve to tell my story, um, especially when I'm, I'm recording with these amazing guests that have been through so much. And I'm just like, oh, my God. My story is nothing compared to theirs. Um, I do it too. I get it. But personally, I find comfort from hearing about people like me. 
people who are quote unquote regular people like who talk about their mental health because that's what's not happening like the people with all the insane trauma you know that's valid too but you kind of expect to hear that story but you know you, you what you don't hear is is just the everyday stuff that that happens with your mental health and I, I'm trying to think of examples, but just like the last year during COVID, we all went through it. And so all I want to say is if you want to be on the podcast and you feel like you don't have anything to talk about, just do it. Just sign up. I don't bite. I, I promise we'll have a good conversation and we will bring up a lot of stuff that you probably didn't know you needed to talk about. But um, that's what I'm here for. Okay. I have exciting news that I'm not going to share yet. Oh, also, I got a job and an apartment in the last week. <laughs> I completely forgot to say. I found an apartment in Virginia. It's a cute little studio with hardwood floors and a gas stove. And it's super cute. And it's cheap, which is, it's like half of what I pay in Seattle. So that's exciting. And also, I got a job. Uh, for a consulting firm doing marketing for them. They're really friendly folks. I'm excited to work with them. And yeah, everything's just kind of falling together. The only thing left that I have to plan is like how I'm actually going to get to Virginia because my rental truck uh, fell through. So my sister might be driving to, to get me, which would be amazing. We're going to do podcasts on the road. It's going to be fun. Uh, I know everything will work out. It's a little stressful, but like this last week has been really good for me. And the other exciting news can wait. I'm getting involved in a project that's really exciting and will affect the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Uh, maybe next week or something like that. I don't know. I feel like I had more to say, but I'm not going to because I want you guys to listen to this. Um, we did have only an hour to record, which is kind of unfortunate. Uh, I was like uh, running late to get on a bus to Portland when we recorded in May. And so we cut the conversation short at like exactly an hour, but I definitely want to talk to her again. I am going to be on an episode of her podcast this Friday. So once you're done listening to this, go follow Binge Breakers on Instagram, Spotify, whatever, and go listen to our conversation on there. It's really great. All right, I'm so excited to jump into this interview. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful week and stay cool. Okay, we are live. Awesome, cool. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry for the sheer amount of time it took to plan this. Life just kept getting in the way. Yeah, you had more important priorities and that's totally understandable. It's all good. How was a uh, treatment and everything? Oh man, I mean, it was a trip and a half. Um, I learned a lot and had a really great experience. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. You know, I've, I've had some slip ups since then, um, just trying to tell myself that recovery is not linear and that all, if I learn from them, it's not a waste. And listening yeah, to your absolutely. podcast actually helps me a lot with that. Um, I've been listening to you since last autumn, I want to say, and you've helped me a lot, as well as so many other people who struggle with this. 
Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm glad you made it through and I'm glad that I could be supportive on that journey. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I don't see any geckos in the background. I know, right? They're not there. They're, um, that was so weird that one time. I was like, excuse me, I have to stop the coaching call and get a gecko. <laughs> um, but no, I'm good. It's like, uh, I'm more tired this week and everything. So my mind is a little bit fuzzy, but otherwise I'm a-okay. It's, I can't believe it's May already though. I keep wondering where time is going. It doesn't feel like it. Like I'm in Seattle and it's cold and rainy right now. You're in Miami, right? I'm Miami. I am in Miami. So it feels kind of like my boyfriend and I were talking about this. It's almost like you're in purgatory because like the weather doesn't change. <laughs> it's just a little bit like it's in limbo. So we're like, what? It's summer. It was never stopped being summer. I know. I lived in Miami as a kid and I remember just like hating it because we have to wear like turtlenecks for Christmas because we had photos to take. And I was like, why are we doing this? The weather's the same all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny. I remember when I went to go to Florida as a kid and I'd see Floridians wearing like boots and sweaters in like 70 and 80 degree weather. I'm like, why are you guys? They're like, we like to dress in fall clothes. So I get it. Yeah. It's like 70 degrees. It's a cold front. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Will you introduce yourself to the listeners? Say what your name is, how old you are and what you do. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm Jacqueline Davis. I'm, I almost forget my age. I'm 26. <laughs> um, That's a mood. And yeah, and I'm a bulimia recovery coach. I've recovered from bulimia myself. And now I help people through their own recovery and I'm a podcast host, the Binge Bakers podcast. Yeah. Uh, Jacqueline has an amazing podcast that I've personally listened to and got a lot from. Um, actually last night I was preparing for this, um, listening to some of your newest episodes. I have insomnia. And so what I do is just walk up and down this one long street in my neighborhood. And I was like listening to your podcast and, um, I, that's when I heard the gecko story. And so I was just like laughing oh. at like midnight listening to your gecko story, you know, as one does. <laughs> that's great. I'm glad that I could help you through, through the insomnia with some laughter at least. Yeah, so I know you help a lot of people with your podcast. It's a great resource for people with bulimia. But what I want to ask you today is like more your personal story, because um, sure. you've mentioned it a lot on your own podcast. But I kind of want to talk about your background and um, when your bulimia started and that sort of thing. So I guess, um, yeah, when did your bulimia start? Um, well, so it's kind of weird. In high school, I actually had bulimia for a really short spell, like my freshman year. Um, and it started out as anorexia and then developed into bulimia. And then my parents found out that summer and I got therapy for it. I don't mention it a lot because I don't remember much of it. And I remember just like wanting to lose weight and being kind of intrigued by the whole thing. So that was like my really interesting experience there, but I got therapy and I was like, I have other things to do. And it for some reason just evaporated. I do not know why, but I went through spouts of like, you know, if something bad happened, I would always like food would not be on the table. But then um, I went to college. I started getting really into weightlifting and, and like exercising, but also I started getting into this idea that I needed to lose a little bit of weight in like my freshman year in college. And that's because I had turned 18, body went through puberty and everything like that. And you know, like when you grow up and you just like your body looks different. And for some oh, reason, yeah. looking back, I didn't, there was no need, there's no need for anyone to lose weight, but I didn't like, 
feel like that was necessary at all, but I've started a diet, right? That's how it all starts. And so my constant college experience was kind of tainted with the idea that I'm trying to lose weight. And I would always like lose weight and then gain it back, lose weight, gain it back. And then eventually I went to England to study abroad. And I, for some reason, wasn't thinking about it as much, uh, which was fortunate. I was able to enjoy going out with friends and stuff like that. Um, And then when I came back, I realized I had gained a bunch of weight and it kind of stuck up on me. And then I started uh, that process of like talking really meanly to myself. Before then, it was all about the weight. It wasn't like a personal thing, even though, of course, there was obviously something going on. But um, when I came back and I had gained that much weight, I started talking really meanly to myself and started saying things like, you're disgusting, you're horrible, like, how could you do this? And then I started a really extreme diet and was really committed my senior year of college to lose that weight. And I remember over the Christmas break, I opted to like only come home for Christmas a few days and then go back to my apartment so that I could spend weeks alone, not eating, um, and just go into the gym as much as I could and like lying in bed. I was like how extreme it got. Clearly there was a problem. Um, and I was like avoiding social activities to diet. And then I was about two weeks till my hit my goal weight. And I remember I had like some sort of ice cream or something in the fridge, like a low calorie ice cream and some cookies, which was weird for me since I was scared of food, but I had it there. Hey, sometimes safe foods don't make any sense. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, why was it even there? But um, I remember just like eating it. And I remember eating another bite, eating another bite and just binging. So so hungry. And I I just lost, you know, that kind of control. And then I remembered, oh my God, like I, the fear of gaining weight again um, and going back to that place where I just felt like I hated myself, even though I hated myself then, um, I couldn't do it. So I just remembered in high school, I had tried to purge and I was never that successful at in high school, but then I tried um, to do it then and it uh, worked. So that's what spiraled me into bulimia. Man, and how old were you at the time? I, how old was I? Uh, 20? I was like 20 a years old, at least. Junior in, in college? I was a senior in college. Oh, okay. I don't, I forget how old traditional college students are. <laughs> it took yeah. me eight years to go to college. So I'm just like, what? Damn. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. growing up, do you think any, your family dynamic kind of contributed to the way you thought about your body or like, what was the language surrounding like body image in your family? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been thinking about that a lot and I don't, I feel guilty because I don't want to blame it on my parents, but there seemed to be a huge emphasis on how I looked, not in like a bad way. And I think it's because my mom struggled with her weight all her life. Mm. And she saw that I wasn't struggling with my weight. And so she, I would just get compliments. And I'm not saying I was like the prettiest kid or something like that. It's just (laughs) that for some reason, I got compliments on my looks a lot and specifically by my family praise for that no one was like Jacqueline you're so smart or something it was always like oh you're she's so beautiful and I just like latched onto that I think people mean so well when they say that sort of thing but they don't realize that you start to attach all your value to your looks and you think that's the only place that you have value right yeah and it wasn't you're right it wasn't ill-intended and I didn't think about it at the time but when I stopped getting those compliments from gaining some weight uh 
I think I started then like, I miss those things, that validation. Um, and it wasn't like people were mean to me once I had gained weight, but I was like, oh, something's wrong. My, you know, I'm not valuable in that sense anymore. And that really probably damaged me long-term. You're treated differently. It's just the way mm -hmm. our society is. It's unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. So how soon after you purged for the first time, did it become a habit for you? So I like when that happened, I remember being on the bathroom floor and being like, what the hell just happened? Like this, I'm an adult like this. I'm senior in college. Like this can't keep happening. So I cleaned up the bathroom and I was like, this can't happen again. My roommate can't find out. No one can find out. We're just done with this. And then I think after that, two weeks later, I had reached my goal weight. There was no like carrot I was trying to achieve anymore. So I was trying to maintain, didn't know how to maintain because I was completely crazy around food. And I remember like binging on some pistachios <laughs> and then I couldn't purge because my roommate was home and I was freaking out. And then I started to spiral after that. And I would like take breaks from class and um, any chance I really got, I would start binging and purging. And when you say purge, are you talking about strictly vomiting? Yeah, strictly vomiting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and how long did you keep that a secret? I kept it a secret till um, for about a year and a half until at that point I had moved to Colorado to be with my partner. He went to school out there and I had been living with him for a while then. And I just, I felt like I couldn't figure it out. And I was behaving irrationally. I was like, hey, it'll be fine one second. And then he would leave for a little while, he'd come back. And I was like, just completely <laughs> um, drained of energy and everything. So I eventually told him because I felt like I needed to get help and I didn't see the potential. I didn't see how it was going to work me sneaking off to meetings without him knowing. Plus, I just felt so bad lying to him all the time. Um, he didn't, you know, he cared, but he wasn't, I expected him to be angry for some weird reason and that yeah. he was going to think I was a liar and that I was disgusting which really that's just what I thought about myself but mm. I told him well I blurted out while we were on the grocery store run like on our way home and I was like holding the steering wheel I'm like I need to tell you something <laughs> and then uh he was like what's going on and I told him and he was really really kind thankfully that's not always the case for people but that was the case for me yeah I find that a lot of people either they aren't educated about bulimia or they have a certain picture of what bulimia looks like. Do you think, do you find that's the yeah. case for a lot of people you meet? Yeah. I find that um, there's a misunderstanding when I tell people that I was bulimic, they think it's like maybe all for vanity. Like yeah. uh, when I tell people a lot of times that I was bulimic, they're like, why you, you look fine or something like that. Like, or which is, it's like, Oh no, like you don't understand. And um, saying like I'm normal looking or whatever. And oh then God, normal is the worst <laughs> when people say normal or like I healthy. Know. Like you look so healthy. I'm like oh God. Yeah, it's like you don't understand. They mean well. And it's like you know. I know they don't like it. That's the thing. They don't have any idea about it. Um, and then I find that some people have had a lot of clients that will tell their husbands or their partners about it, and their partners are like, "What is that? I don't know." you know, and they're usually older. So that maybe have, has something to do with it, but they have no idea. Like they've never heard of it. Talking about your clients briefly, not your, um, I know we're talking about your personal story, but like, do you find that a lot sure. of your clients have kept it a secret for many years? 
Yeah. That's yes. pretty typical. Like, Because I, I know with my bulimia, like, it was a secret for many years. And most of the people I know with bulimia have the same type of story where you start maybe in your childhood or early teens and you keep it a secret for years, sometimes decades. Because it is very shameful to talk about in the in the eating disorder uh, hierarchy. <laughs> I, I found yeah. that bulimia is kind of the one that no one likes to talk about. Um, People aspire if, to be anorexic. Yeah, yeah, if we're if we're sticking to like the most commonly known uh diagnoses because you know people usually only talk about anorexia and bulimia don't get me started on that whole thing either you asked if like clients have kept it a secret for a while and the people that I meet and it's yeah typically I see even I've seen people some of my clients have been married for like 15 years and or or I've had I've had clients that have been like have bulimia for 30 years they have kids that are in their 20s and they don't know so like they keep it a secret for a long time and I'm commonly a lot of times with my clients like they're dirty they're dirty little secret like the person they go talk to where no one knows so which is funny um the ones that are in relationships and they do know then that's a different dynamic it's really supportive for them they tend to have a little less shame because they have someone in their corner at the very least yeah let's talk about relationships when you're bulimic so you told your partner in colorado also where are you from originally because you're not from florida are you no i'm from indiana that's Um, okay that's why i'm so drawn to your accent (laughs) because i grew up in chicago um well i was a military brat so i lived all over but um i went to high school in chicago and the midwestern accents just bring me so much joy this makes me I feel know, like they're comforting right so so I know I was in when I was in Europe you know obviously no one had a midwestern accent but we went to Copenhagen Copenhagen I don't know and they had the most like midwestern sounding English accent that's when I went there I was like oh please speak again like, my people at <laughs> home yeah but um no if you do you know where Michigan City's at no okay no because you grew up like partly in Chicago yeah um but yeah did you take the South Shore at all no oh my god okay no it's fine like there's the south shore train in chicago and it connects you to oh maybe Indiana. then it, yeah it take, takes you to um south bend all the way there okay Indiana. i don't know if you know where that's at but whatever <laughs> yeah um but back to partnerships so um oh man okay let's talk about partnerships with bulimia so you told your partner and how he reacted pretty well you said yeah he reacted pretty well he was um he's kind of a different guy in that he kind of gives you um he's still like quite independent and um he wasn't like on me all the time about recovery he kind of just took my word for it that I'm trying to recover gave me space with that but I think is it the same sorry is it the same partner you're with now yeah we've been together for uh eight years now nice Mm -hmm. yeah when you told him did you want to recover I did. I really desperately wanted to recover and I didn't go on to recover till like two and a half years later after that, if I'm remembering the time correctly, but, um, I just needed to tell him cause I wanted to find help and I didn't know what was going to, I was like, I was really scared too. I remember that. I remember like, I'm doing really bad things to myself. I don't know who to try. I feel crazy. So yeah, that's why I told him. Did your definition of recovery change over the years? Like Because back then, oh man, as you were talking, I had this perfect question formulated. It's still like early here, so I'm just like, (laughs) I guess I want to talk about the concept of recovery because obviously you're a recovery coach, Um, Mm -hmm. but I know 
recovery can look different for a lot of people and it's not linear and it's very individualized. And I know I was listening to one of your episodes where you talk about how you really thought you would have it forever. It was just like a hobby, like something you did kind of mm -hmm. from time to time. And like, I have felt like that too, slash feel like that in cer at certain points. It's like, wow, is this going to be a lifetime thing? Is recovery just yeah. like putting more and more time in between lapses? So like when yeah. you were at the time in Colorado, when you told your partner, um, what was your idea of recovery and like, how has it changed now? I know that's a lot to answer. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think it's funny when you're always being interviewed, you think you're like talking a lot too, but I think that's the point of the podcast, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think at the time I'm trying to remember, cause like my brain was like so foggy then too. I remember just thinking my goals for life is like, what if I could just not binge and perch, right? It's like, that I think was my baseline definition of recovery. It's like, man, if I just didn't like binge and then throw up my food, that would be nice, right? That'd be So great. just focusing and on the behaviors alone. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And um, over time, I think I realized that there was so much more to it. Like I, I talk in my podcast a lot about that bulimia is just a behavior and the fact of binging and purging. And to focus on that is a really good thing. But I didn't realize then that like I need to clean up so much of my personal and mental health to maybe get that going. So now my definition of recovery is like, you're not, I don't like calling people bulimic either, just because yeah. like, I don't think anyone is a behavior, but um, I like to t tell people to try on the concept of like the second you stop binging and purging, you're no longer um, bulimic, right? To think about it that way, because it's just a behavior. But ideally, if we're just like generalizing, my definition of, definition of recovery now um, is that you're not binging and purging, you have a uh, good relationship with food, whatever that looks like to you, right? Um, whatever you're comfortable with and that you're not like constantly in fear of going back to bulimia mm. and you, your mental health is pretty good. Like you're actually moving on with your life. You're not still obsessed with food and body weight and all that sort of stuff. That's the hardest thing is to not be terrified of going back to it because bulimia is hell. Like I don't need to tell you that. And it kind of has a way <laughs> of infiltrating every single part of your life. And, yes. um, yeah. How, um, how often were you binging and purging at the time you told your partner? Um, it was pretty much every day. Yeah. Uh, and if he was home, then I wouldn't, but, uh, if I had a chance alone, it would probably happen. Right. If I was alone, then I would be binging and purging for the most part. Uh, and then some days it got like, sometimes it was worse. Like I'd be binging and purging multiple times per day at the point when I recovered from the behavior, like stopped doing that. I was binging and purging maybe like three times a week mm -hmm. at, at most. So that was your first step in recovery was to stop the behavior. Yeah. I, I really think I did my recovery maybe backwards. I don't know, but <laughs> I, cause I never got, and I, I think when people hear me say I'm a coach, like I'm for all types of treatment and stuff like that, whatever works, but I found um, help in the coaching industry. And so I found, uh, like was looking for like weight loss help. And I stumbled across a podcast that talked about it, but they talked about the mental health aspect of it first, like Ooh. being in the right mindset. And I wish I more like, people what? did that. I know. Right. It's That's like, 
you need to change your thoughts and like be in a healthy mindset and then lose weight. Like, so, um, so I was like, maybe I need to do some stuff here. And then I finally got into coaching and I really stopped treating myself, like stopped telling myself terrible things and stopped, um, beating myself every second and stopped kind of like acting like I was a horrible person. And then once I got that stuff cleaned up more so, and I was being kind to myself and I was actually trying in my life again, um, then I was like, you know what? I really don't, I had given up on bulimia at that point, but I was like, you know what? I, I don't really want this anymore. And then it was much easier to leave the behaviors behind because I had things to look forward to, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm focusing on the phrase, like a horrible person. Like you thought you were a horrible person. Do you know where that stems from? Like, was it strictly because of the behaviors that you thought you were a horrible person or is there something deeper there? Oh no, it like, I don't know if I just had crazy standards for myself or what. But, <laughs> don't we all? Um, yeah. It's chances like are if you have eating disorder, you have insanely high standards for yourself. I know. You just think you, I, I had always had this fantasy maybe of like when I was growing up that I was going to be this like wealthy career woman who is just killing it in life and doesn't need no man and all that sort of stuff. And, <laughs> and then I was, and I was going to be like a size two. And so like already like some real, some expectations there that maybe aren't the best, but I think once that transition between going from high school and you think as a kid, everything's going to be great as an adult. That's what they tell you. Not, yeah. That's what they tell you. It just keeps getting worse not. kids just keeps getting yeah. worse. Hate to break it to you. No one knows what they're doing. <laughs> no, that's I someone and I were just talking about how like adults are just big children. Um, yes. you know, they, no one has it figured out. Right. Yeah. But I think I was upset. I thought I was a horrible person because I felt like I couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't, um, I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I was in like with finances, with my relationships, um, both like romantic and personal and friends. I felt like my job was mediocre and I, and none of these things, like they're not reasons to think someone's a bad person. Right. But I just kept telling myself things like this, you know, look, you're just a fuck up here. You're just a fuck up here. Um, when really I could have said like, these things can be changed and they don't make you a bad person either way. But I was so deep in that mindset of like, this is another failure. This is a failure. Look at you. You're just a failure. That's what I kept saying. So in some ways, did the bulimia seem kind of like a culmination of all those thoughts? Like it would like, did you feel like it would have led to that eventually or something similar? Like, did you um, ever um, self-harm or anything like that as a kid? Or I, I tried to once and then I was like, I can't do this. Because <laughs> in my can't. experience, bulimia is, I mean, as you know, it's usually a symptom of some greater problem. And in my mm -hmm. experience, it's come out in a lot of different ways besides bulimia. So the times that I wasn't bulimic, I was like abusing substances or self-harming, for instance. And I know a lot of people that mm -hmm. that's the case. Um, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely think that bulimia was uh, maybe not even just bulimia, but my whole obsession with weight and like image was like a way to try to make my life perfect. Because like if I just did that, then all those other things would fall into place right yeah and I think also then the binging became like a way to escape from my life like it's telling myself all the time you suck look here here everything's like falling apart like you can't do anything I was like I just need to numb out and it's interesting I guess I learned more too like a lot of people that are bulimics struggle with substance abuse right or a lot of people yeah. that struggle with substance abuse go to bulimia 
as well. It's really interesting. Yeah, more, more so than anorexia. Yeah. Well, I look at it a lot like the binging is is kind of your choice of drug or like um, the purging can be your choice of drug or whatever. I mean, there's, there's different types of it, I know. But, um, and I found myself after I, after recovering from the behavior of binging and purging, I found myself craving alcohol a lot more, mm. which I've never had any issues with alcohol. And I found myself like wanting to drink randomly in the middle of the afternoon. I was like, this is so odd. And um, yeah, it was strange. Well, so I, a lot of people have compared bulimia to addiction. Some people have even gone so far as to call it an addiction. Um, I was talking about this recently in one of my audio journals. I feel like I can't call it an addiction because it's not like I won't get withdrawals if I stop eating food, you know, <laughs> or like mm -hmm. if I stop purging, I won't get withdrawals. It, it doesn't like I guess it does change your neural pathways, but not in the same way. I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. Right. But um, have you encountered that comparison in your work? And like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree. It's not the same as like a substance abuse. A lot of people say it can't be an addiction because of like the chemical components, right? And there's no withdrawal. But I find it's a really easy way to compare it. So I and nothing's like black and white. So yeah, I'm full. When I say this, like I see, I definitely view bulimia more as an addiction. I know that's not the full story, right? Oh, like I mean, said, same other things. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's really good to sometimes look at it that way because it, first of all, doesn't make it so personal. And I think a lot of us make bulimia really um, personal about us. But then if you can look at it as an addiction, then I think it's easier to look at the behaviors and how to stop them. Like the binging is your choice of drug. And you say the withdrawals is interesting. I was thinking about that and you don't get like withdrawals, sure. But I noticed in my own recovery and I noticed sometimes with people I have talked to that there's this period once they stop the behavior where they kind of like open up to life again. And a lot of it doesn't feel super good. Like I remember there was a... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was You're just good. saying like, I just came out of treatment like two months ago. Right. And so when mm -hmm. I first got in there and they started feeding me six times a day, my body reacted very violently. It was not happy. It didn't know how to digest food. Um, and that's just the physical side. The emotional side was a different story. That, sure. It's not withdrawals, but your body goes like you put a, yourself through a lot of shit when you're bulimic. Uh, I think yes. a lot of us either downplay the physical side of it or like we ignore it. Yeah. I find myself thinking all the time, like it wasn't that bad, right? Like I wasn't, and that's, that's a lot of thing pe uh, things people say to themselves to not get help. They think I'm not that bad. Fortunately, I didn't have any huge physical side effects. Like a lot of things still seem normal to me. I don't know the full extent of the damage. But um, yeah, the, the physical side effects were still like, I would still be like fatigued and just brain fog all the time. And I definitely think I suffered with like, um, just bulimia digestion in, in general. I was like, yeah. um, it didn't go back to normal for about a year. That's a long time. I know. Yeah, it sucks. Is that pretty typical? I don't know. Because um, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if that's hugely typical, but from what I see, like maybe when I say a year, it's not like it was like at its worst for a full year and then it suddenly went back back to normal it was like for a few months probably not so great and then it got better and better over time that's mm -hmm. when i do work with people like those first like month or two is the hardest yeah for sure 
so but uh going back to your own recovery story uh what steps did you take after you told your partner <laughs> yeah so after that i tried to look up um some sort of like help online like a therapist online realized I couldn't afford it didn't have insurance and so I was like I'm just gonna have to do this on my own and then just kept cycling until I just kind of given up and I was like I hope I can just make these symptoms as less as possible and then I fell into the coaching and that's um like I, I fell into that podcast and then I finally looked into life coaching I signed up for a life coaching program to get coaching and then I started talking to those people working on my mental health. And then eventually I asked someone, I was like, I'm still doing this bulimia recovery thing. I've been looking into habits a lot more. It seems like it's just a habit. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I keep on doing it. Can you help me? <laughs> and this person was, she is not an expert in bulimia at all. And she was like, have you tried pausing? And I'm like, no, I guess not. <laughs> and uh, which sounds so simple and stupid, but um, and like frustrating. But I, I, when I say all this, like I was in a spot that I was like really ready to let go. I was really done and I just kept compulsively doing it. And so um, and when I say pause, what she meant is like setting aside time when you're about to go down that urge road, I would take a step back and be like, wait, you know, like, let's make a decision here. Do I really want to do this? And I felt the emotions instead of trying to like block them out. And that's what I think a lot of people do with um, eating disorders. They kind of like tighten up. Um, and it actually wasn't that bad. And I was actually able to like feel the urge and then walk away. It wasn't easy, but it wasn't that bad. That's amazing. Yeah, that's the hardest thing. And I'm pulling up um, a handout from one of my group therapies because it's exactly what you're talking about. Have you heard of STOP? Um, no, I have not. It's pretty common. Uh, stop. It's just like, what's that when the first letter means something? Um, I don't know. Anyway, so the, the S stands for stop. T is take a step back. O is observe. And then P is proceed mindfully. And that's helped me a lot mm. um, because pausing is the hardest part. Uh, when you are in yeah. the middle of that craving, you don't really prepare yourself for like handling the distress in the moment yeah how long did it take you to kind of start working on that so the it's you say like in the moment it's really hard and how I got myself to do it initially is I said I am willing to pause like I can still binge afterwards if I want to hmm. like that's and that's like the deal I made with myself just because I was like so ready to get done with it I'm like okay let's just like try this I really looked at it as an experiment and I think that helped take the pressure off because I wasn't expecting it to work or something. I was just like, we're just going to try it. But um, I, after that, and again, it sounds unrealistic, but after that, I think I had one more incident and then I was like, I I'm done with this. So within a span of a month after learning that pause method, I was able to let go. And then I just had to move on to the other part of my recovery, which is kind of like being normal. <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> yeah being being I hate that word too because like people are like I just want to be normal and I'm like okay what is you what is your standard of normal yeah. because you don't they usually have crazy standards for what normal people do <laughs> yeah people define it themselves there is no objective normal I right. think you know yeah. 2020 reminded us of that more than ever and now normal doesn't really exist anymore like you're like we're re redefining it mm -hmm. um yeah when did you start seeing a coach for your bulimia? Maybe it was about a year 
before I recovered. Um, okay. which I don't know what year, because I struggled with bulimia for about four years. Okay. Though when I say that, like people hear that and they're like, oh, that's not that long, which is interesting. But um, I was struggling with disordered eating before that, for sure. It, like there was a few yeah. things going on. But it's about a year before I actually recovered. Also, I hate it when people compare their themselves to other people's stories. Like, right. can we all just stop comparing ourselves and just focus on our individual? Like, I mean, I, I'm guilty of it myself. I do it all the fucking time. Of course. Um, yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. especially when you do have an eating disorder, you tend, like, I didn't get treatment for the longest time because I was like, oh, I'm not sick enough. Like, I haven't lost enough weight or mm-hmm. like, you know, I haven't fainted or anything like that. Like... And that's right. what keeps you sick for long periods of time. Yeah, you. it's crazy to think like, oh, I'm not that bad. And it's like, why are you trying to make the standards of that bad be like the worst of the worst? Like you don't want to get to that point. Yeah, you're not like, good. Early. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if it's not good, then you should probably do something about it. Yes. Um, but I wanted to ask, what is the difference between like a coach and a therapist? Right. So I have had therapy, but it was when I was much younger. Um, And when I say this again, I think all forms are valid and necessary. Right. And um, I just happened to, it resonated with me coaching, but I think the biggest thing from what I see with the people, a lot of people that work with me have gone to therapy before. And so they say like, it's nice because we seem to focus more on action items and um, actual like present thoughts we're thinking about it like is a little bit stealing from cognitive behavioral therapy in the sense of like we focus on how their thoughts are affecting their thinking Mm. so like let's say someone talks to me and they just had a binge and purge so I talk about okay like what were you thinking beforehand what was going on why did we do this like how can we change it in the future so it's very action oriented maybe I give them a little bit of homework because therapists I don't think give as much homework that being said, I don't, I think this is an overgeneralization of therapy. There's so many different types of therapy. Yeah. Maybe the main thing is with coaching, we focus a lot more on present things. And um, whereas I've heard a lot of people talk about how therapy was talking a lot more about childhood, mm. that sort of stuff. But like, see, some people that have gone through trauma, I wouldn't feel comfortable working with them because I don't, I think therapy is really needed for that. Right. I don't think yeah. people need to be coached out of trauma. Right. Doesn't, I don't think it'd be yeah. really <laughs> Okay. That makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. I was just wondering. So it took you a year to recover, you said? Yeah. So I started coaching, but the funny thing was I did not get coaching for bulimia. It it was just, yeah. So I was so like given up on my recovery that I was just trying to like move on with my life and keep the binge and purging. (laughs) So I just was like, you know what? I want to, you know, get my finances under control. I want to get my mental health better. Let's do coaching. Um, but I was like bulimic on the side. So I did all that. And then eventually I was still binging and purging, but a lot of things have been cleaned up in my life. And that's when I started asking like a week before I stopped or not a week, like a month or two before I stopped behaviors, I started bringing that up in the calls with people. And I felt bad for a lot of these coaches because they weren't like bulimia is not what you generally get coached for. So they've they felt very like awkward about talking about it, but I bet. they were still helpful. Yeah. That's good. I, I w- would imagine they wouldn't even know like what to say in certain cases. No. Yeah. Well, I remember being terrified to talk about it. You know, yeah. I didn't want to bring that up. I wanted to do everything but that, which I realized I was like, I need to just start saying it. I need to get some help on this. 
Yeah. And I know you talk about the one call that changed your life in one of your podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. I listened to half that episode and then I stopped because I didn't want to spoil it. I wanted you to kind of tell it to me (laughs) right now. Okay. Just in a (laughs) nutshell, um, what was that call and how did it change your life? Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't the call. Um, unfortunately I don't have a call where I asked someone about like bulimia. Right. Yeah. But like, um, about like my recovery, but this was a point where I was considering being a life coach myself and I really wanted to help people and I was wanting to change my career. And so I asked, I knew I wanted to help people with eating disorders or like food in some way, but, um, I was really nervous. My family didn't know this whole time. Only my partner knew my roommate from college and then any coach I had talked to. Oh, wow. That was going to be one of my questions is like, who did you tell about it? And you were recovered at this point and just trying to figure out like your career stuff? Yes. Okay. So I was all recovered and like was, I was pretty good on food, everything like that. And I wanted to help people. So I asked this, this coach, I was talking about niching. We were just talking about like, cause that's the thing you do in business is like having to target people to help. Right. And so she was like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, oh, I could do eating disorders, but that's kind of weird. Like, I don't, you know, and she was like, why is that weird? And I was <laughs> like, well, I would, it's personal and I would have to tell people. And I started crying because she was like, I don't, I still don't understand why that's weird. And I was like, I really don't want people to judge me and think badly of me. And that's um, when I realized I was still holding onto a lot of shame. And I was trying to basically manipulate people's opinions of me thinking that nothing had gone wrong and really the truth was I had been in a dark spot for a while and no one no one knew and I didn't want to share that how did you finally start sharing that with people well the the call that changed my life I talked she was like that's your work to do I was like how do I get over the fear of judgment from people (laughs) and we were kind of I came to the conclusion that like you don't necessarily, like you're always maybe going to have a bit of fear there, but I really realized that I wish I had had the podcast that I'm making. Like, I wish I had had stories like that to look up. There's not, I mean, what you're doing too is so important. There's not enough people talking about what we're talking about. So I was like, there's someone out there that is going through exactly what I'm going through. I need to do this for them. It's more important than me. And that's really what helps me push through that I think and and then it was just like a whole bunch of like adrenaline yeah anyway I don't even remember when I started talking about my bulimia more openly I think it was around the time I started my podcast in 2018 but it does feel like an adrenaline rush you think like something really bad is going to happen when you tell someone Mm -hmm. but I have not experienced a single bad reaction honestly yeah I mean I'm fortunate in that regard it's not true for everybody yeah, I've heard some like horror stories, but I'm glad that you've had any like super negative reactions. And I'm sure you get this, but like people reach out to you and they're like, thank you. I feel so less alone and isolated and it gives people hope. You know, you're you're still trucking, you're figuring things out. It's like nice to see that, oh, there's there is hope. People can get through this, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm really impressed that you went from like not telling anyone to like becoming a bulimia coach and starting a bulimia podcast. And I know that didn't happen overnight. I kind of want to hear the story of how that came to be, but um, I want to hear more about you telling people in the beginning and like what the feelings and thoughts were going through your mind. Um, Telling, so I'll tell you the specific story. I basically, I recorded the podcast 
And then I'd already recorded the episode, still haven't told even my like family, just my boyfriend knows about this at that point. And I was like, I have to, I, to get the podcast to be seen, I have to start sharing it places. And I was like, that's the only way it's going to get seen. And so I was like, okay, I told my parents the Sunday before I released the episode, I was like, guys, so I made a podcast and they're like, what about? And I was like, um, it was about, it was about bulimia. And they're like, oh, from when you were younger. And I was like, no, actually like (laughs) I've been through all of this. Um, you'll hear it in the episode, but I just want to prepare you. I am fine now, but they were like, oh, I'm sorry that you have been struggling. And it was really hard on them to listen to that first episode and realize all these things have been going on and they had no idea. So yeah, that was, that was kind of hard, but they, they're proud of what I'm doing now for sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, I would, I don't know how I would feel if I learned that my daughter was like binging and purging all these years. And I, I didn't know, like, I can only imagine, yeah. I mean, obviously you're, you're better now and that's amazing. Um, I just, I can't believe that that's how they found out. That's so funny to me. I know it was, I'm such a, um, I'm sure a lot of people are like this, but I'm, I can be too secretive. And that's why this was like a hard work for me, like everyone else. But, um, yeah. And then the, I felt guilty about that too, but I moved past it for the most part. And then the, the, the Saturday after that I had to, sh- I shared it on my public Facebook profile which I was like I was even more terrified to do that I was like expecting people to think it was weird again and that people were going to say it's inappropriate and like who are you to be doing a podcast and that was a big thing too is like who are you to be helping people with bulimia what do you know um all that sort of stuff but you know you think all these things and it's really just your own mind because I got Mm -hmm. so many like kind responses and the cool thing was so many of my friends reached out that told me they were struggling with the same thing. Yeah, that's like, pretty typical. I, I've found mm-hmm. that a lot of people have told me they have it, and there's others that I'm sure have it that haven't told me. It's way mm-hmm. more common than we think. Absolutely. Oh, my yeah, cat has people... made an appearance. He hasn't come up this whole time. I've been pretty happy. Anyway. I can't let my dog in this room. He'll just like start making all the weird noises in the world. <laughs> oh, I mean, that would be fun too, you know, maybe to spice yeah, things up. Maybe do a bonus episode one day where he makes an appearance. <laughs> he's like, he's a dog, but he's kind of like a cat. So he like gives himself baths all the time. It was <laughs> people would just hear like licking noises in the background. It wouldn't be very appealing. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about coming out with your bulimia, so to speak, did you find that that was absolutely necessary for your recovery? And do you tell your clients that they need to tell people about it? Yeah, I think it was necessary for my recovery. Um, I think it was one of those final layer things. So I was doing really well, but when you, because the work that you have to do to actually tell people is important, right? You're like, everything's fine. If I could just like not ever tell a single soul and just be fine with it, I'd like to pack it up and move on and like, let it, I'll just go to my grave with it. And it's like, why do you want to go to your grave with it? Why are you so ashamed to tell people? And if you can figure that out and move past it and um, own it, right? Because you shouldn't have to feel ashamed with struggling. Everyone struggles. I think it's important work to do. So I don't tell people like it's necessary for recovery, but whenever people are like, I just want to never tell anyone. I'm like, you should probably tell someone at some point. (laughs) If there's anyone listening that might be struggling in secret, what would you recommend for them? Like, how do you even start approaching the possibility of telling someone? It's so scary. 
Yeah. So I'd first make sure that if you're planning on telling someone, make sure it's someone that you trust and it's a safe space and um, you know that you were safe because I have heard stories where it hasn't gone as well. So um, if you're going to tell someone also, I don't think it's good to have expectations of that person, right? Like accountability and stuff, like telling someone so they keep you accountable. Yeah, because then you might like present them. Also, you're putting the burden of them of like they don't know how to react either. I would just come up to someone if you're planning on telling them and be like, I I just need someone to talk to. I'm not expecting anything from you. I just need someone to listen to me, right? And I am really struggling with something. It's um, and that might be a good way to approach the situation. But the um, most like the two most important things is like I know a lot of people think that they're gonna. The person they're telling is going to think that they're like disgusting a liar or something like that like a lot of that's not true that's in your head right not the other person's and i try to say like if a friend came to you and told you the same thing how would you react and you yeah. probably would be very kind um i realized i asked you also- oh sorry continue go ahead no start no, over go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> i realized <laughs> it's i asked you about relationships earlier and then we veered off topic <laughs> Um, oh yeah but this kind of ties into what we're talking about now like telling people I can imagine that if you have a partner telling your partner is probably one of the first things you do if it's a trusting relationship right in my experience again I'm fresh out of treatment I do not have the years of recovery under my belt like you do and so I have ruined a lot of my relationships with Mm. my in part due to my bulimia and so I was wondering if you had anything to say about that in terms of like being a recovering bulimic or being bulimic in recovery, I should say, and also being in a long-term relationship, like what, how, how that experience was for you and like what you tell clients who are kind of in the same situation. Yeah. So you're asking like, if you're in recovery or like struggling with bulimia and you're in a long-term relationship, like what to do? Like what is the appropriate level of uh, responsibility that they should feel, or if any, you know, maybe they, like boundaries are really important. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm not that the best at them, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, well, again, not the expert, right? Every relationship's different. Um, yeah. So take it with a grain of salt. But what I tell people, I just did an episode about this like a month or two ago. Like, I think you you sent it to your mom or something, but yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think the best, the biggest thing you can do in a relationship, especially if it's just like one-on-one, is first of all, like the people that are struggling with bulimia, don't expect them to like help, like take on your recovery, right? Like try to not put so much pressure on them and try to be empathetic towards them because they get, they're watching you do things to yourself that they wish you weren't doing. It's hard on them. It's stressful. Um, So I know that you guys are struggling with bulimia, so that's hard, but also your partner is struggling in some way. So try to be empathetic. Don't put all the accountability on them. Maybe ask them like, Hey, this would be really nice if I could get this from you. So like one time I was talking to a client and she was like, I just really, my husband leaves, like just a phone call at night would be really helpful. So like mm. ask them for what you need and then talk about what's appropriate, right. Together. Cause it's going to be different for everyone. So just put, put it on the table, what you think you need. And then you guys can have a discussion about it. I love that. I'm about to move home to Virginia in a couple of months to be closer to my family while I spend the, a year in recovery. And I'm, I plan on doing this, that very thing, just having a, a t- meeting with them and sitting them down and being like, okay, here are my boundaries. Here's what I need from you. 
What are your expectations? I think that uh, communication is so, so important. Yeah. And you, everyone's different and you have no idea what some people like, they don't need a whole lot. Right. And then some people need a lot. So it's good to at least be on the same page with what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so you're a coach now. How long have you been doing that for? So, um, so I, so I started in 2020, I started before the podcast in 2020, like around January and it was just like here and there, a few people. Then I started the podcast. Um, then it really like started picking up. So I didn't realize yeah. it was that like, not that long ago. It's really crazy no, how it wasn't. Like, much it's boomed. Yeah. Well, I feel kind of like embarrassed saying that or like there's the, the imposter syndrome, right? Of, oh my like, God. Yeah. Who are you? And, um, you know, but I knew that at least I had things to tell people. Right. And at that point, I wasn't necessarily coaching specifically on bulimia. So uh, but it I knew that I, I had things to offer. I knew I had drastically changed my life. So that's what I was trying to do. And then when I niched into bulimia, that's where things really took off because I was offering specific things to people to help them. And I had a story I think people resonated with. Yeah. I mean, I resonate with your story so strongly, obviously. And I know so many other people do. Uh, When you say imposter syndrome, like, I wish we had more time to talk about that. We could do a whole episode on that (laughs) because, oh man. I was going to ask, like, I have, um, I have two calls after this, so I do have to leave like immediately, but if we want to continue this later Oh, I have to catch or... a bus to Portland. Okay. Like literally okay. it leaves an hour after this, so I have to run. Okay. But um, I wanted to ask you like, what is next for you with your business, with your personal recovery, all that stuff? Well, with personal recovery, I'm really, t- I'm actually trying to gain some weight right now. Muscle mass, which is like totally new, like what eating disorder trying to gain weight. It's like different for me. So that's cool. Um, and I just like always like taking care of my personal life. So I'm really struggling sometimes to find a balance between like not working too much and like making business my obsession or whatever. Yeah. So I'm well, trying was- to, my own personal life. I was going to ask you um, if you ever find yourself slipping back into that bulimic mindset when you're stressed. Yeah. So that is a cool thing I like to talk about. Like I still occasionally get urges to like perch or binge and perch and they're really subtle, but they're way worse when I have not been taking care of myself. And then about three months ago, I fell asleep in my desk chair at like two in the afternoon because I just wasn't, um, I was not getting up sleep. I was like working too often. And that's when I was like, I need to make my schedule more sustainable. (laughs) This is not okay. Like I didn't go through all this to then become a workaholic. So yeah, when you're not taking care of yourself, you can easily slip back into behaviors and I'm not ashamed of that. It's just like how it is. So, I mean, you were talking about having like switching from bulimia to like something else. I, we were talking about alcohol in the moment, but I think work can definitely be a replacement behavior if you're not careful, like overworking. Right. And it can be that distraction. Plus with alcohol, I did find a few months ago as well, I was like drinking on the weekends more often. And I've just cut that out because I found myself like looking forward to drinking on the weekends. And it's like, it wasn't negatively impacting me. I didn't feel super good. Not yet at least. Right. And I was like, this seems like it's headed in a bad road. So I haven't drank in like two months now I think and I'm feeling feeling great good with that I mean that just shows me how much progress you've made that you were able to stop it before it started becoming a bad thing you know I think that's really cool yeah I'm really grateful for that too and but um 
you're no one's immune, right? Anyone can fall into things, but it's, it's knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we had more time. I love talking to you. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or advice to give before we wrap up? Well, I'm really enjoying talking to you too. So you should come on my podcast sometime. We should have Hell some yeah. catch up <laughs> chat. Um, but um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've been thinking about lately that is there's no like right or wrong way to recover. There's a lot of different ways that can work. And I say this all the time, but like find what works for you. And also I think the biggest thing that changed for me in recovery was believing that it was possible. And that's mm-hmm. when I actually started trying, right? Like having hope and and working towards it. So find something out there that like gives you evidence that there is hope and like run with it. I think would be the biggest cheesy um, thing that I would give as advice. It, it might be cheesy, but it's true. Like you can't recover unless you believe in it. Uh, I think belief was one of the traits you mentioned on one of your recent episodes of like traits yeah. to recover or something like that. Uh, it's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you have that timing has to be right. Yes. It's like, if you're not, um, if you're not ready, then it's, no one's ready but if you are not like willing to recover and you're not like believing it's possible you're probably not gonna go too far so really like try to get inspired try to find some belief try to keep pushing i think those are all really good things for recovery i totally agree and you really inspired me to want to recover more and um it's been so good talking to you i really appreciate it can you tell people where to find you and how to get in touch if they're interested in coaching and that sort of thing Sure. Yeah. So you can just find my podcast on most major platforms. It's called Binge Breakers. But if you type in bulimia, I think it comes up too. I think and that's then, how I found um, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's how most people find me. And then uh, you can find me on Instagram, same handle, Binge Breakers. And my website is just bingebreakers.com if you want to look into coaching with me. But my podcast is a great place to start and it's a, like a free resource for everyone. So yeah. yeah go check it out and um yeah recovery is possible it's just yeah. it might not look how you think but it's out That's, there yeah yeah people <laughs> have um i think it's another thing people have such a like a their own interpretation of what recovery should look like and just like throw that out the window you it's kind of like that that vision you were talking about in the beginning of you like being a boss ass bitch with like a size two and like all this stuff (laughs) recovery is not like that recovery is scary sometimes recovery means crying into a sandwich you know Mm -hmm. yes yeah it absolutely does and being constipated (laughs) oh my gosh that's we could talk for a lot about that. That's a huge. <laughs> All right, well, I'll stop us there then before we delve into that. Um, that's a great yeah. note to end it. Uh, thank you, Jacqueline. This has been so great, and um, yeah. yeah, I love your podcast. I love you, and I really appreciate this. Uh, thank you so much, Christina. Yeah. I appreciate it as well. Yeah, you have a good um, day in Florida, and um, yeah. yeah, my cat just and absolutely over. like I'm sorry we're so limited on time, but I'd love to have you back again. Um, yeah, this was totally my fault. Like, I did not plan well at all, so it's on me. Okay, I got <laughs> stuff going on. It's fine. We got we got. <gasps> yeah, I feel like when you're all recovering, right. you have that brain, like bulimia brain. Still, it's like I f- makes you stupid or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's because you got a lot going on, but keep on pushing through it. You'll yeah. get there. Thanks. Yeah. You have a good Bye, day. Christina. Bye. Hey guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, 
You can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.